4. I invite you to read along silently as I read aloud this morning. Here Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, where you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day, for this opportunity as your people to worship the risen Christ. And we would ask for your help now as we consider this text this morning, and as we consider the resurrection of our Lord that we would not only understand it, but we would be able to think through the implications and the applications of it to our own lives today for your glory and for our good. So we now ask for the work and the help of the Holy Spirit, and we ask these things in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Friends, it is impossible to overstate the importance of Christ's resurrection. For without Christ's resurrection, there would be no redemption. For the scope of God's entire redemptive plan is rooted and dependent on the fact that Christ rose bodily and victoriously from the dead. Without Christ's glorious resurrection, there would be no justification there would be no forgiveness of sins. For Paul declared in Romans chapter 4 and verse 25 that Christ was raised for our justification, for our pardon, for our acceptance by God. And to deny his resurrection would be to remove from us any hope of salvation or of forgiveness whatsoever. In fact, Paul declared in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Without Christ's resurrection, there would be no victory over death and the grave. In fact, if Christ was not raised from the dead, then the promise of the Father to the Son that we referred to a few moments ago, in fact, Russ, or it was Bo, mentioned this in citing Psalm 16 and Acts chapter 2, would never be fulfilled. And the sting of death. Christ will also experience for 
his resurrection guarantees ours. Therefore, the resurrection of Christ is fundamental. It is foundational to the Christian faith. It is at the very heart of the gospel. In fact, in summarized in the historical facts of the gospel, Paul declared in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 1 through 4, Now I would remind you, brethren, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are now being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance or of primary importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so for the Apostle Paul, the resurrection of Christ was not a doctrine of some importance, but of first importance. It was not a doctrine that merely contributed to the gospel. It was a doctrine that defined the gospel and conveyed its hope for to preach anything less than the resurrection of Christ would have been a, a serious miscarriage of the stewardship that God had given Paul as a minister of the gospel and to withhold the truth of Christ's resurrection from those who need to hear it would have been to deprive them of the gospel entirely. And of course, this is still true today. This is why we must be steadfast in preaching the resurrection of Christ, not just on this day that we're accustomed to calling Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, but on every Lord's Day, which is the occasion when the church gathers in celebration of Christ's resurrection. For every Lord's Day, every first day of the week, points to the fact that Christ rose from the dead. No doubt most, if not all of us here today, have a, a genuine desire to acknowledge the historical fact of Christ's resurrection. And yet, friends, there are many other important questions to be asked and to be answered by all of us this morning that go beyond the question, do you accept the fact of Christ's resurrection. For you and I can acknowledge this truth intellectually. We can even argue for this truth historically and yet know nothing of its power. Rather, other important questions that should be asked and answered by us are, have we actually experienced the power of Christ's resurrection by means of saving faith in him. Have our lives been changed? Have our lives been transformed in a way that can't possibly be explained apart from the power of Christ's resurrection at work in our own lives? For a true Christian is not one who merely believes that Christ was raised, but in a spiritual saving sense, he or she has been raised with Christ as well. 
And having been raised with Christ, he or she has been transformed into a new person with new thoughts and new affections, with new spiritual desires created through the Spirit's power. For before God graciously saved us, before our hearts were renewed and our minds were open to the beauties of Christ, you and I only sought after the things of this world. Our minds were enslaved to the wants and to the desires of this world. In fact, it would be no exaggeration to say that before God opened our eyes, we were in love with this world, given that we loved darkness rather than light. We were captivated and preoccupied with the things of this world rather than the things of God. And yet when God in his mercy did save us, when he applied the benefits of Christ's death, and especially the benefits of Christ's resurrection to our souls, and he granted us by his life-giving spirit, newness of life in Christ, all of these things suddenly and quite miraculously changed. For at the very instant that we were regenerated by the Holy Spirit, our longing for this world was replaced with a longing for Christ. Our deadness spiritually was replaced with life given by God. Our, our minds were no longer set upon this world, on the here and now only, but our minds were set instead on the world above, upon the heavenly realm where Christ now dwells, where our lives are now hidden in him. And we now desire Christ's presence far more than that which this present world can offer. For such a change that God has wrought about in us as those who have been raised with Christ, or as risen children, as servants of Jesus Christ, as those who have been experiencing the liberating power of his grace, our focus is now upon eternal heavenly realities as opposed to temporary earthly realities. Our hearts are now set upon the reality of Christ's kingdom, on his present powerful reign in heaven, and upon his soon return, rather than what is happening upon this earth right now. In fact, our text this morning here in Colossians chapter 3 makes it undeniably clear that our focus should not be centered on events here, but upon Christ's presence up there upon the risen Christ and his present reign. For regardless of what unfolds here on this earth, Christ is still reigning in the heavens above. He is fulfilling his sovereign will and purpose for his people. And so clearly the work that God has done within those who have been raised with Christ has freed our desires and has freed our minds to focus intently upon the spiritual truths that were not a concern to us before, but which are now as we focus our desires and affections upon Jesus. And yet, how are we to do this? 
How are we to ensure that we are doing as the Apostle Paul commands here in our text by seeking those things that are above and by not setting our minds on things that are here on the earth? And what exactly does Paul mean when he states here in our text as well that our spiritual lives are hidden with Christ in God or that Christ, who is our life, will one day appear and that we are to live in anticipation of this? Well, let's consider first the significance of Paul's words here at the beginning of verse 1 of Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ. Where is Christ? He is in heaven. He has been raised. And where are we? We are positionally we are spiritually raised with him. For clearly Paul is not suggesting here that the spiritual blessings of which he speaks of in our text today, the blessings of an upward focus and a Christ-centered mind belong to just anyone. For the blessings that Paul mentions here in Colossians chapter 3 are only for those who have been raised with Christ, only for those who have been given the ability to consider and to ponder spiritual realities. In fact, lost men and women are incapable of seeking those things which are above. Lost men and women are incapable of finding joy in the reality that Christ is seated at God's right hand because their eyes are still blinded. Their foolish hearts are still in darkness. And therefore, the ones whom Paul is addressing here are those who have been spiritually regenerated, those who have been awakened, or even more precisely, those who have been raised with Christ, as Paul says here in verse 1. And no doubt by this language, Paul is speaking of that glorious spiritual resurrection that occurred when these saints were united by the Holy Spirit to Christ, which was later testified to openly at their baptism. In fact, this connection is made clear in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12 earlier in this epistle for when we were physically baptized we participated in an ordinance of christ which pictured the fact that we have been buried with christ in baptism and that we have also been raised with him through faith by the powerful working of god in order to live and to walk in newness of life it is the Spirit who gives us the desire to be baptized. It is the Spirit who enables men and women, boys and girls, to seek after spiritual things. It is the Spirit who gives people the grace to set their minds on things above. And of course, friends, if you and I are able to seek after spiritual things... If you and I are able to sincerely ponder and find joy in the knowledge of heavenly realities, it is because the Spirit has been at work in us. It is because we have been raised with Christ. In fact, if we are able to enjoy these spiritual realities when others do not, it is not because we are naturally more spiritually minded than others are, 
or because we are more spiritually intelligent or observant than others, but because God has had mercy upon us. God has chosen us in Jesus Christ when we were unworthy, chosen us to possess this knowledge, which is a great spiritual privilege indeed. And so Paul simply assumes here, and rightly so, that if a person has not been raised with Christ, he will not understand the spiritual nature of these words, nor have the ability to properly apply them. But if a person is a believer, if he has been raised with Christ by the Spirit, then Paul's words here in our text are for him and they're for us. Who believe and what does the Apostle Paul exhort these saints who have been raised with Christ in this sense to do well first Paul urges these saints and us here in the rest of verse 1 to seek those things which are above to seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And needless to say, Paul's words here are significant for at least two reasons. First, Paul's words are significant because they reveal that the Christian life, the life that the believer lives after he or she has been raised with Christ, is not a passive life. It is not a passive life, but it is a life of active seeking. Seek those things or be seeking those things which are above. And this is not the kind of seeking that gropes to find something that is hidden in the dark. But it's the kind of seeking that is always pursuing the presence of God through Christ. It is a continual seeking that is always endeavoring to honor Christ for who and for where he is. And who is Christ in the context of verse 1? Well, Christ is clearly the one who is now above, the one who is risen, the one who rose from the grave. And even more importantly here in this context is the fact that Jesus Christ is now the ascended one. The ascended one, for Christ couldn't be present above unless he first ascended from below. And of course, given the fact that Christ has indeed ascended to heaven and that he is no longer bodily on the physical earth or still hanging upon the cross, it's only right that our seeking is directed upward. Notice that. Our seeking is directed upward to where Christ now is above. Then secondly, Paul's words here, especially at the end of verse 1, are significant because they not only reveal where Christ is, and that is that Christ has ascended up to the heavenlies, but they also reveal what honor and glory Christ now bears. What honor and glory Christ now bears or possesses. Paul writes here in verse 1 that Christ is now seated at the right hand of God. Needless to say, to be seated at the right hand of God the Father 
is no small honor. For such a place is Christ's, not only by divine right, not only by the fact that he's declared the Son of God with power by the Father and entitled to the privileges of eternal sonship, but also because of Christ's obedience to the Father's will. Christ earned his seat on the right hand of the Father. Yes, he deserves it by who he is, but he earned it by what he did by how he obeyed. He bore the punishment that was required to purchase our eternal redemption. Christ performed the perfect work of atonement that God the Father's justice demanded in order to obtain our pardon and to release us from our debt. And no doubt, it is with these acts of love and kindness towards us in mind that we are now to think of Christ seated in heaven. That's where we should understand that Christ is this morning. Yes, through his spirit, he is among us as his people, but he is physically seated in heaven. For the fact that Christ is portrayed here as physically formally seated, formally seated on the right hand of God speaks to the fact that Christ has completed his holy mission from the Father, and that he has obtained for us our full release. In fact, Christ is no longer working, striving, enduring, suffering on our behalf. He's no longer doing those things. He is no longer suffering humiliation for us, but he's now seated in glory having faithfully discharged his obedience to God in full measure, and having perfectly and gloriously obtained all the blessings of a full and plenteous salvation for his people. Therefore, as we seek after Christ, as he is seated now on the right hand of God, we are to seek him as one who has gloriously prevailed. He has prevailed as the one who now occupies the, a throne of eternal glory, a throne that was gained, a throne that was earned by his own agony, by his own suffering. He's now reigning in heavenly splendor where he rightly belongs, which he rightly deserves. For in contemplating Christ in this manner, our love for him is kindled more. Our admiration for him increases. Our desire to serve him greatly intensifies. For we long to glorify that lamb who was once slain. Once slain. But who now occupies a place and a position of glory. We long to praise him who once wore a painful crown of thorns, once wore a painful crown of thorns, but now wears a crown of unfading glory. For truly Christ has prevailed. And not only this, but by contemplating Christ as he's now seated in heaven, we are also assured of Christ's present rule of his reigning 
or the fact that he is presently ruling from his throne in heaven. For when we say that Christ is now seated at the right hand of God, we are clearly saying that Christ has already received from the Father the authority to rule, and he is actively ruling. In fact, the portrait that Paul gives us here in verse 2 is not of some future event where the throne is finally given to Christ at the end of all time. That is not the picture. That is not the portrait. The message being conveyed here is not that Christ will one day in the future reign. The message being conveyed here is that the kingly rule of Christ began upon his ascension into glory after his bodily resurrection, for then that throne, which the Father had already prepared for Christ from the foundation of the world, was given to Christ. And he immediately commenced his glorious rule over all things. In fact, we are not waiting for Christ to take his rightful place in glory. We are not waiting for Christ to take his rightful place on the throne, nor is heaven itself patiently waiting for men on earth to make Christ king. But rather all the inhabitants of heaven, all the angels, all the heavenly creatures fell down in the presence of the reigning Christ the very moment that he ascended there. And once there, he, Christ, was immediately enthroned at God's own right hand, showing that Christ had been raised, that he had already ascended for the purpose of being crowned, coronated king. So as we set our minds upon Christ above, as we look to him, as we look upon him as the ascended and enthroned one who is now ruling and carrying out his will in heaven and on earth. Let us not have meager thoughts. Let us not have small thoughts. Let us not have limited thoughts of his greatness. Let us not hesitate in saying that he has all things at his command. All power is given to me in heaven and earth, Christ said. Go ye therefore. He has all things under control. For if Christ is on the throne, if Christ is seated on the Father's right hand, and he most surely is, let us assure ourselves that we have no cause for worry. We have no need to be anxious about the future. We have no need to be intimidated or terrified at our enemies. We have no need to fear anything below. For he who is above will keep us. He who is now ascended shall lead us safely home. Therefore, it is easy to see why Paul urges his readers and us here in verse 2 to, to set our minds on things above. Set our minds on things above where your reigning king is seated. For as long as our minds, our thoughts are focused on things above, on Christ seated on his throne in the way that I just described, we will not be easily shaken. 
Though the earth beneath us shakes, we will not be shaken. Though the forces of evil wage their warfare against us, we will not be intimidated. For we have one who is above all. We have one who sees all. We have one who is in control of all, who is unfolding his plans wisely. Not only is our ascended and enthroned Christ reigning over us, but he has made spiritual provision for us in the here and the now. For in uniting us with him, he has also ensured our death to the tyranny and to the bondage of sin. For notice that Paul declares here at the beginning of verse 3 that we who have been raised with Christ have died. We have died, Paul says. And what has truly died is no longer controlled and constrained by what once held it captive. It is no longer exposed to the threats and to the dangers that once encircled it or surrounded it. And thus, Paul declares here that if we have been raised with Christ, our lives are hidden with Christ in God, meaning that Christ Jesus and his righteousness is our hiding place. He is our ark of safety. He is the one who brings us through the destructive waters of the flood. He is the one who sets our feet on dry land after the waters of judgment have abated. For if we are hidden with Christ, we cannot be touched by anything that would try or threaten to undo what he has already done, what he has already secured. Then lastly, by way of spiritual provision, for those who have been raised with Christ, we are also promised that his resurrection and ascension ensures our reunion with him. It ensures our reunion with him. This is something that is often overlooked when discussing the resurrection of Christ and its spiritual provision for us. But it is a very comforting and edifying truth to consider Let's consider it briefly. For if Christ was not raised from the dead, we would never be reunited with him. He would have been left in the grave. We would have never seen his post-resurrection glory. But Paul assures us here in verse 4 of Colossians chapter 3 that when Christ who is our what? Our life the source of life, the giver of life, the sustainer of life. When Christ, who is our life, appears, we shall also appear with him in glory. Therefore, the reality of Christ's resurrection affects our entire Christian experience. I want you to think about that in the context of everything that I've said today. From the faith and the living hope that we first received when Christ saved us, 
to the very end of our Christian experience when we are reunited to Christ and we appear with him, Christ's resurrection has been at the center of it. Christ's resurrection has made it all a reality for us. And so it is not enough to merely agree, to merely acknowledge that it happened. It is not enough to simply accept it as a historical fact. But we must come directly and personally under its power. Directly and personally under its power. And only Christ working through the Holy Spirit can apply that power. May God be pleased to reveal the power of Christ's resurrection in our lives today. For God's own glory and for the good of his church. Let's pray. Our God and Father, how we thank you for our risen Lord. Who has ascended and who is now reigning with all power in heaven, who is now controlling, orchestrating all things according to his own purposes, bringing glory to himself, bringing good to his people, bringing salvation to the lost. And how we so delight in this opportunity today to reflect upon him to seek those things which are above, not the things on this earth. And to know that we have died to self, to sin and its power. And our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. And we are anxiously awaiting that glorious day when he appears. And we shall be in glory with him. Oh, Father, may these reflections today move us deeply. May they stir us up to confess more than merely the historical facts of Christ's resurrection, but to long and desire after its power. It's life-changing, transformative power in our lives is what we need. And so please grant that today on this Lord's Day. Do your work that only you can do by your sovereign spirit. Speak to us through your word today. May the spirit apply it as only he can. For we ask these things in Jesus' name.